Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. So glad that you're here with us today as we are in part two of a series called SOS. And this series is all about dating, love, marriage, and sex. And we uh, should have had a adult content disclaimer a little earlier in the service, but I don't think we had that. So just in case you have somebody with you that might be of an age that you're not quite ready to have that conversation with them, then now would be a great time to take them to our children's ministry. You can go around to our Connection Center and and we'll have somebody over there that can help you get to our kids' ministry. So if that's a, a reality for you, wanted to make sure you had the time for that. All right, now we're calling this series SOS for several reasons. The first reason is because intimate, God-honoring, what are supposed to be lifelong marital relationships are in real trouble today. And if you look around our world, you don't have to look very far to see that many people don't know how to get into God-honoring dating relationships. Many people don't know how to uh, get into God-honoring marriages. And we struggle to stay in those God-honoring marriages. So uh, as we look around, we watch our world that, that is really struggling in these most important relationships, outside of our relationship with God, that intimate relationship that, that we can have between one man and one woman who should be totally and freely committed to each other for life, those relationships are in trouble. And so we're calling on God. We're sending an SOS message to God saying, God, would you help us? Help us learn how to save these very important relationships. That leads to our second reason this series is called SOS because it's based on an Old Testament book, an ancient love story called the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. And it's a love story that was written about 3,000 years ago, a love story between a king by the name of Solomon and this woman by the name of Shulamith. And Shulamith has this amazing Cinderella story because she's really this uh, peasant farmer who attracts the king's attention, captures the king's heart, and later becomes queen of Israel. So it's a really amazing story. Do we have any Shakespeare fans here today? We've got like five of you that love Shakespeare. So if you love Shakespeare, you will love the Song of Solomon. So as you read the Song of Solomon, it is written in a very beautiful, poetic style. And, and if you like reading that, you'll, you'll in, be engaged in it and, and, and love the intricacies of this book. But if reading Solomon or reading Shakespeare was difficult for you, then I got to tell you, reading Solomon, the Song of Solomon will be challenging. And, and I know this has been challenging in my life. I read it, and I'm like, what is going on here? Who's saying what? What's happening? What's, what's really happening at this spot? So what we're doing in this series, instead of reading like a chapter at a time, we are pulling out specific things in specific chapters, specific verses that we're looking at, and they contain some amazing truth for us to explore, whether we are single, whether we are dating, or whether we are married. So this series is a great series for everybody, doesn't matter what stage of life you're in or season of life you're in, this series is something that can benefit all of us. Now, last week as we started, in chapter one, we saw some godly qualities that each of us should have and we should be looking for in someone if we're considering getting married to them. And and we saw things like establishing a great reputation and godly character 
and high qualities or, or the high standards and holding those, those high standards. And we saw things like protecting each other physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And let me just say real quick, if you missed that message, you can go to our website, theepicchurch.com. You can go to our iTunes account. You can listen to any of the messages that we have. We post them there so you can keep up with that. And that's a great way to kind of stay up with what's going on in our church family. Now, next week, we are gonna talk about something that goes through a man's mind about a thousand times a day. Can anybody tell me what we're talking about next week? You got it. Yes. You know, because every day a man wakes up and, and he's, he's consumed with thoughts about what am I going to have for breakfast? And then what am I going to have like between breakfast and lunch, you know, the snack time? And then like, what am I going to have for lunch? You know, it's, it's really bothersome to men to think, what about dinner? I haven't even thought about dinner. You know, like, what are we going to eat? All right. So anybody know what else goes through a man's mind a thousand times a day besides food? Sex. Sex yes. So Next week, um, today we'll talk about food for just a small portion of the service, but next week we're going to spend the whole service talking about how do we have great God-honoring sex. Let me give you a sneak peek for next week. Sex was God's idea, and it was a great idea. (laughs) Can I get an amen or a hoot or a holler out of anybody? Yeah, okay. All right, so the reality is sex was God's idea. Think about that for just a moment. Sometimes we think it was our world's idea. Sometimes we think it was our idea. Sometimes people think, oh, that was just Satan's idea. Nope, it was God's idea. And God had a wonderful idea with this and a wonderful design and a wonderful plan. But we have to understand what that plan is and what that design is to understand how our creator intended us to use it. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. I hope you'll come back for that. I hope you'll invite anybody and everybody. And this is not just a message for men. It'll be a message for women. It'll be a message for all of us because God's got some incredible information for us to know. Okay, so last week we watched Solomon and Shulamith growing their relationship. And they were at this uh, courting season in their relationship. And we watched them establish great reputations, build their relationship upon godly character And we watched the standards that they each had for their relationship, and those standards were high. And then we saw that Shulamith expressed an insecurity. She said, hey, I'm I'm really insecure about this. And then we watched how Solomon interacted with her, how he protected her emotionally. And it's out of that protection, we start in chapter 2, verse 1. So if you have a Bible, feel free to flip over to Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1. If you kind of take your Bible, cut it in half, flip it open, you should go a couple of books to the right and you should find the Song of Solomon. If you're using your phone, feel free to do that. Otherwise, the verses will come up on the screen as well. So we're starting in chapter two, verse one. And this is Shulamite speaking. She says, I am the spring crocus or crocus. I'm not sure how to say that. So, you know, if you know how to say it, say it for me. I'm the spring crocus blooming in the Sharon plain, the lily of the valley. So here's what she's saying. Because of how Solomon treats me, I feel beautiful. I feel like a beautiful flower in the Sharon Plain. So I got to start with guys this morning. Guys, does your girlfriend, does your fiance, does your wife feel beautiful because of you? 
hope so. Does she feel beautiful because of how you interact with her, how you speak to her, how you speak about her, the things that you do for her? Does she feel beautiful? Like, man, my man thinks I am something special. Like, I feel fantastic because of how he interacts with me. Guys, she should. She should feel beautiful. She should, should feel special because of you, because of how you interact with her. Ladies, does your man feel handsome because of you? It may, that may not be the best term because a lot of guys don't really care about the handsome part. I mean, look up here. I don't have any hair, so big deal. <laughs> but for your guy, what's special to him? Is it uh, being strong? Is it being smart? Is it, is it being valuable in that relationship? Does he feel like a man because of you? Does he feel more like God designed him to be because of how you interact with him? And if you're in a dating relationship, if you're in a marriage relationship, there's a great thing to talk about at lunch. Guys, ask your girlfriend, your fiance, your wife, do you feel beautiful because of me? Because of how I treat you? How can I treat you in a way that would make you feel beautiful? Ladies, ask your man. Do you feel handsome? Do you feel strong? Do you feel valuable? Do you feel whatever because of me? And what can I do to help you to feel that way? I think we have a huge responsibility to do that. Now, when we're early in the dating relationship, kind of like Solomon and Shulamith are in, in this part of, of the chapter that we're looking at, it's easier to do that. And, you know, if, remember, if, if you're married or you've been married a long time, I want you to think back to those dating years. If you're dating and, and, and hopefully you haven't been dating too long, but think about the, the, the moments where you were new in that relationship. And wasn't it easier to do those things, easier to say those things, easier to do things that, that were meaningful? And you can pick these couples out when you go out to eat because they're the couples that are looking longingly into each other's eyes and they just can't get enough of each other. And, you know, they, they might even be today, you know, sending texts back and forth across the table with, with little hearts and smiley faces. And I love you. Did you get that one? Just send it to you. We'll just wait a second. It'll get there. There's uh, Wi-Fi is bad. Um, but it's, it's, it's so easy to see young couples that are like that. And when Tammy and I walk into a restaurant, we pick couples out like that. First thing I think is, well, they're certainly not married. Because <laughs> if they were, they wouldn't act like that. I mean, that's kind of obnoxious. But what a sad statement. Somewhere on the journey of growing our marital relationships, we forget to do some things that are very important, like speaking words of life, like making our, our, our spouse feel special. We forget to do some things that are so important to do. And we get in a spot where we say, you know, I, like we love each other. Like we know that. I, I think we do but we're not saying and we're not doing anything that communicates that kind of love. So we need to make sure that we're constantly doing and saying things that build a relationship. If we want a relationship, an intimate relationship that will last for a lifetime. Now listen to what Shulamite says in verse four. So in verse four, she says this, he escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Now, I got to ask, if you're dating, 
Is your love obvious? Is your love obvious to other people? And I'm not talking about that obnoxious, kind of selfish kind of love where you're groping all over each other and you know, uh, adults with kids have to close their eyes and then somebody's got to say to you, get a room. That's not what we're talking about. That's not honoring, respectful, obvious love. That's selfish love. That, that's a kind of love that makes a dad of three daughters want to break a young man's arm off. So I tell my daughters, if I ever see a guy dating you with his hands on you, and if he ever walks in a room with you with his arm around your neck like you're a piece of property, he's going to have one less arm and you're going to have one less boyfriend. So don't let that happen. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about honoring respectful love. So when people see your dating relationship, do they go, man, that, that couple loves each other. Like that couple has this respectful, honoring love. Look at how they interact. So if you're dating, do you have that? If you're married, is your love obvious? Is it obvious to you? Is it obvious to the person you're married to? Is it obvious to other people? Or have you become that couple in the restaurant that doesn't even talk at all? And people wonder, do they even like each other? If you have kids... Can your kids tell, mom and dad are in love. They love each other. Here's the thing. Our kids will select a person to marry and be in a relationship with based upon our relationship. So what are they seeing in your relationship that you would want them to emulate? Do you want them to be in love for a lifetime? Or do you want that to just burn off quickly in the dating years and then all of a sudden they get to those mature years of marriage and we don't say those things anymore? We don't behave that way. Or do you want your kids to still see you demonstrating obvious love? I love to stand in my kitchen with my wife and give her appropriate kisses, and my kids go, oh, gross, that's disgusting. Appropriate kisses, because I want them to know, I love your mom. Like, she's the cream of the crop, the hostess with the mostest. I mean, she still captures my, my attention and my heart. She's amazing. So. If you're married, is your love obvious? In verse four, Shulamith describes why Solomon's love is obvious to her. She says, he escorts me to the banquet hall. Now, this is not just one really special date. Solomon continually treats her with this obvious, respectful love. And this is a statement about chivalry. Now, I know that we live in a day and age where chivalry is dead. But I do think, guys, that it is time for us to bring it back to life again. I think it's time for us to become chivalrous men who interact with women in a way that's honoring and respectful. But I know in our culture, not everybody agrees with that. There are people that, that don't like chivalry. Um, there are some ladies that don't like chivalry. I recently read an article by a professor, a psychology professor at Northeastern University, and Judith Hall is her name. And she described in this article uh, this kind of oppression uh, that comes from men who are sexists. And she was talking about this inequality between the genders. And she said, there are these obvious sexists who control women and try to manipulate and hurt women. And then there are these benevolent sexists. And these are the nice guys. These benevolent sexists are guys who pay for dinner when they take a woman out. These are guys who offer their date a jacket if she's cold. These are guys that hold doors 
for women. And listen to what she said about this. She said, benevolent sexism is like a wolf in sheep's clothing because it perpetuates support for gender inequality. Now, I understand, or at least as best I can understand, our fight for equality. You know, I'm not a woman, but, but I understand that women have not been treated equal for many years. And guys, I think we have a responsibility to help women uh, feel equal in the context of our relationship. That doesn't mean equal roles. I think God designed some different roles for us. But I do think that God designed us to live in an in, in equal plane with each other. And we should interact with each other with love and respect. So guys, like I really think that we should love the women around us very appropriately. And I don't see that Shulamith was offended at Solomon for escorting her to the banquet. Actually, it proved his love to her. She said, it's obvious that he loves me. Look at the, the things that he does for me. Look at the way that he treats me. So guys, we've got to reawaken chivalrous love. And we've got to interact with women in a chivalrous way. So I encourage you, if you guys are dating and you ask a lady out on a date, pay for her meal. If you are standing at a door and a woman comes up, open that door. If a woman is cold, hand her your jacket. And it's not because women are so weak, they can't hold the door open themselves. It's not because, you know, women just aren't smart enough to, to know that it's cold outside and to bring a jacket. It's not that, you know, women just can't, you know, today they can't earn enough to pay for dinner. It's not that. It's honoring, respectful love. And it's not a love that says, I'd like something in return. Hey, I'm gonna hold the door for you. I'm gonna pay for a really nice dinner. I'm gonna take you out to a banquet. It's gonna be amazing. And later I would like something in return. That's selfish love. It's not what Solomon's doing here. So guys, we need to reawaken chivalrous love. Look at what happens in verse five. Verse five is an amazing thing that happens. And guys, I want to warn you, this is nothing to expect. Okay, nothing to expect. But watch the power of respectful, honoring love. Verse five, this is Shulamith speaking. And she says, strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. Let me explain raisin cakes for a moment. <laughs> raisin cakes were felt to be an aphrodisiac. So when you ate them, you became sexually aroused. So this is what she's saying. She's saying, Solomon, because of the way you treat me, you treat me with honoring, respectful, obvious love, and because of that, I wanna have sex with you. And all the guys in the room just woke up. Like, what? where do I get some of those raisin cakes? Again, that's nothing to expect. It's nothing to expect. Like, hey, I'm going to take you out for a nice dinner and expect something in return. It's, it's nothing to expect in return for our behavior. But that can be a natural response. That can be a natural response that a woman in an intimate relationship has when her man treats her the way that he should treat her. When the man treats her with honor and respect and obvious love, there, there can be this natural response where a woman says, I'd love to be with you. Sexually. Now, verse 7 is a powerful verse, especially if it's spoken by Solomon. 
And there are a number of Bible scholars that believe this is Solomon speaking. So get the context here. Verse 7. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Now, if this is Shulamith, this isn't any different than any other woman who's holding off her sexually aroused boyfriend or fiance. But if this is Solomon, this is a man holding off his sexually aroused girlfriend or fiance. And I don't care whether you live today or 3,000 years ago, that is a really big deal. And Solomon says, listen, I love you. I love you so much, I'm gonna protect you sexually and I'm not going to awaken sexual love until the time is right. So guys, if you're dating, are you awakening sexual love before the time is right? Are you protecting your girlfriend? Are you protecting your fiance? Not just physically, not just emotionally, not just spiritually, but sexually. Are you saying, you know, there's some places I won't go with you. There's some things that I won't do with you because the time's not right. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna act like King Solomon acted with Shulamith and I'm gonna protect you. Ladies, are you protecting your man sexually? Are you saying, listen, I love you so much. I don't wanna awaken sexual love until that time is right. Here's a way that all women can protect all men sexually. It's in how you dress. Men are stimulated visually and women are stimulated verbally. So ladies, um, sometimes when you wear things that are a uh, little inappropriate maybe, uh, where our culture says you should be hanging out everywhere up top and down below, that's not helpful to men. And that's not really helpful to a man that you're in an intimate relationship with or you want to be in an intimate relationship with. And I know it's not cool. And I know, like, my daughters hear me have this conversation. like, Dad, like, that's so not cool. That's so not current. I'm like, yeah, I know. If you want to keep getting what the world gets, keep doing what the world does. But if you want something different, like, maybe we need to do something different. So, ladies, like, you can protect men by how you dress and how you interact with your man. So you're protecting if you're a man, if you're a woman, you're protecting uh, your boyfriend, your girlfriend that way. And if you're wondering, hey, when is the appropriate time to awaken sexual love? Is it after our third date? Is it after I I've, I've bought something really special? Is it after we've gotten engaged? Here's where God says the appropriate time to awaken sexual love is. It's on your wedding day after we've established a relationship built upon a great reputation, godly character, high standards, protecting each other physically, emotionally, spiritually, and sexually, after all that is the time that God says, that's the moment to awaken sexual love. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 13 says. Hebrews 13 verse four says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. There are several ways that we can defile our marriages. And one is before we get married and the other is after we get married. So premarital sexual activity actually hurts our future marriage. 
and extramarital sexual activity, any sex outside of marriage hurts our current marriage. And God does not want us to, to be in pain and experience that kind of pain. He wants us to protect marriage and that intimate relationship. So God designed sexual intimacy to actually be a bond that holds a couple together. And it should be a, an integral part of what holds a couple together for a lifetime. So I've got some props up here on stage that I'm gonna uh, use to help us understand this. And so we're gonna have a little arts and crafts in church, if you're okay with that. So I've got a couple of hearts here. So one heart represents you, and the other heart represents the person you're dating or engaged to, or, or maybe even your spouse, okay? So you pick which color you like, and you be that one. And uh, what God designed for sexual intimacy is that sex is that bond that holds a couple together. And so this glue here represents God's gorilla glue for sexual bonding. All right, now you can get it at Walmart, you can get it at Home Depot, um, or Lowe's, I think. Okay, so when God brought Eve to Adam, the first couple, he saw that Adam was alone. And his solution to Adam's aloneness problem was a woman. It was Eve. And so he brought Eve and Adam's mind was blown in that moment. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And God brought them together, had the first wedding ceremony. And then in Genesis chapter two, verse four, God says, and the two shall become one. And Adam said, what's that mean? God said, you're going to like it. Trust me. You're going to love it. So God designed sexual intimacy to be that bond. See, this is very, very tough stuff to work with, as you can tell, okay? So I'm gonna have to get creative. So God designed sexual intimacy to be that bond that holds a couple together for a lifetime. And that's where, that's a significant piece of two becoming one. Now, let me show you what happens when we operate outside of God's design for sexual intimacy. When we come together to become one and we engage premarital sexual activity, we engage extramarital sexual activity, there's some pain involved. There's some regret involved. There's some, some sorrow. There's some hurt You see, when, when two come together and engage in sexual activity, as God designed it, then the two become one. But when we operate outside of God's design for sexual intimacy, we can't take two and put them together and then take them apart without pain, without hurt, without some regret, without some sorrow. And, you know, God understands that. God designed sexual intimacy. He knows how it works best. And sometimes we think, oh, God's just the ogre up in heaven trying to keep us from having fun. Not so. Again, sex was God's idea. 
So when God comes up with this idea and this design, he says it works best between a man and a woman who are totally and freely committed to each other in the context of marriage. And so God wants to protect us from this kind of pain. He wants to protect us from the hurt, the sorrow that can happen. Now, some of you might say, well, I messed that one up. Like I've, I've crossed that line, either dating or as a married person. Here's the amazing thing about God is he's a God of do-overs. And you can actually see sex regain its bonding power when we step back and, and do sexual intimacy God's way. See, another one of the things that happens when we engage sex outside of God's design is it loses its bonding power, its ability to hold us together. And we may try again and again, and we may try with a different person, we may try with a different relationship, we may try whatever, we, we try to make it regain its bonding power. When we keep using it outside of God's design, it loses its bonding power. But with our God, a God of do-overs, we can see it regain, re-strengthen its power. When we step back, so whether you're dating, whether you're marriage, when we step back and say, God, like I repent of that. Like That was wrong. I recognize that was wrong. I'm going to step back and repent of that. I'm going to rebuild my life and who I am, my relationship with you. I'm going to rebuild a godly character. I'm going to rebuild a great reputation. I'm going to rebuild the high standards that I should live with. I'm going to rebuild protection, uh, protecting my spouse, protecting me physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually. When we do that, you can watch the power of sexual intimacy rebond and re-strengthened. And that is the amazing gift that comes from our amazing God. So if you've messed up, you can start over. You really can. It is possible. Whether you've engaged premarital sex or whether you've engaged extramarital sex, it is possible to start over and do things God's way and watch the, the gift of sexual bonding re-strengthen and be applied to your life again. So do you need to talk to God about anything in your life? Do you need to talk to somebody that you're dating? Do you need to talk to your spouse about anything, about rebuilding, about redesigning, about reestablishing anything that, that God wants you to reestablish when it comes to your sexual relationship? Now, let's go back to um, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to watch how Solomon expounds on what we've been talking about. Verse 15 says this. It says, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. Sex outside of God's design can be one of those little foxes that tries to ruin the vineyard of love that we are trying to establish. There's actually many things that fit into that category. So again, premarital sex, extramarital sex, um, selfishness, can be a, a little fox that, that slips in and, and prevents us from having the relationship that we should have. When I put my desires, my wants in front of my wife's, that can be a little fox that, that hurts. When I refuse to resolve conflict in a way that honors God, that can be a little fox that slips in and, and hurts that relationship long-term. This might surprise you, but I found that children can be little foxes that try to ruin the vineyard of love. And I know because my wife and I have four of those little foxes. 
So what I've noticed through years of being married and watching other uh, marital relationships is when couples put their kids before their marriage and make a consistent habit of that, then those kids can become little foxes that try to ruin the vineyard of love. And they're not trying to do that purposely. And kids need lots of love and attention, and we've got to give that to them. But when we make a regular habit of putting our kids first, our relationship lasts, then when our kids grow and they leave the house, we look at each other and say, who are you? I don't even know you anymore. The second highest divorce rate is when kids leave the house. And, you know, my wife and I are kind of in that kind of spot that's close to uh, having an empty nest. And we've got two of our older kids. They're out of the home uh, right now, and um, they may come back, but I hope not. (laughs) We've got two kids um, that are six years away from being out of the house. Six years. I'm like, wow, that's like blink of an eye. I do not want these next six years to pass and then for me to look at Tammy and go, I don't even know who you are. I want to to catch any little fox that wants to get between me and her and the love that we're trying to establish for a lifetime and deal with that. So in your life, are there any little foxes that are hurting your relationship? Are there any little foxes anywhere? You know, it could be a sexual activity thing. It could be a pride thing. It could be an arrogance thing. It could be a refusal to resolve conflict. It could be your your children in, in some way. There's any little foxes trying to ruin your vineyard of love. We have got to ruthlessly look out for them and address those when we recognize what they are. And that doesn't mean disciplining your children because they're alive, okay? That just means making sure that our relationship takes top priority over every other relationship that we can have. Now, let me ask some closing reflective questions as we end today. So here's some some questions for us to process through. So if you're dating or married, is your love honorable, respectful, and obvious? It should. If it's not, what needs to happen for your love to become those things? Guys, is your love chivalrous? Do you hold doors? Do you offer jackets when women are cold? You should. We should. Have you awakened love before the right time? If so, you can put it back to sleep again. It's difficult, but it's possible to put it back to sleep and hit the reset button and start over in that aspect of your life. If you're married, do you need to awaken sexual love again? Maybe some of you need to go to Publix on your way home and buy some raisin cakes. (laughs) Just saying, it could be some of the best marital advice I've ever given in church. Are you defiling your marriage in any way? Either before marriage or after marriage? You can fix that. You can step back and start over. Are there any little foxes that are ruining your vineyard of love? So our worship team's gonna come out in just a moment and they're gonna close us in a closing song. And and as they do that, what I, I encourage you to do is process through these questions today. 
and, and just ask God, how can I build? How can I maintain? How can I reestablish a relationship that really is honoring to you and the person that I'm in a relationship with or hope to be in a relationship with? So let's pray together. God, thank you for the truth of Scripture that we can learn. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful that we can read love stories like the story of Song of Songs, and we can watch this relationship develop the way that it should develop. And so, Lord, we've talked about a lot of things today. We've seen the power of, of uh, obvious, respectful, honoring love Uh, We've seen your design for sexual intimacy. We've seen some of the hurt and heartache and sorrow and regret and pain that can happen when we operate outside of your design for intimacy. And we've learned, God, that you are a God of do-overs. So, Lord, for those that, that need to kind of start over, I pray that they would determine to do that, even today, even now in this moment. They'd say, God, like I'm coming to you, so please teach me how to have this relationship in a way that honors you. And uh, Lord, I, I pray for those that need to establish honoring, respectful love that's obvious to them in the world. I pray that we would live in that kind of love on a regular basis. Help us to love each other, reassure each other, protect each other physically, emotionally, spiritually, and sexually. So God, we come to you for that help because we know you're the one who can give it to us. So give us that help today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.